the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Today is really, really important as we get into this hope anyway, because one of the unfortunate byproducts of living in this fallen world is that every person, and I don't care if you're a Christian or not, every person experiences pain and suffering in this life. It's, that's part of our life. From failed relationships to unfulfilled dreams, life can be filled with sorrow and disappointment. Though that is happening at real life, what's strange is that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. How do we process the disappointments in life? How do we process the sorrow in our life? Jesus, at one point, assured us, ready for this, that no one's immune from disappointment. Right? In John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I've told all this, I'm telling you, hey, listen, here's what's going to be happening to me, here's what my life's going to happen, but listen, the reason I'm telling you all that is so that you will have peace, watch this, In me, here on earth, you're going to have all kinds of trials and all kinds of sorrows, but I need you to take heart, because I want you to hear this. In the midst of everything that you encounter in this world, I have overcome the world. So no matter what you're going through, I've been through that. I've been through that. I've been through that. Well, Jesus hasn't been through what I'm just, what's going on in my life. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been tempted with these things. He's gone through our life. He's been human. And if we're going to overcome disappointment, it's going to be because we have brought ourselves into correct perspective. And that's what I want to encourage us in this morning. I want us to bring in a good perspective. We cannot, and we all know this, we cannot eliminate suffering and disappointment this side of heaven. It's just part of life. If, if you haven't suffered disappointment, you haven't been human. Right? It, it, it's just what it is. But if we looked, I believe that if we looked at this life from a different angle, it could be less intimidating. A lot of people are intimidated by life. And I want to show us how we could do that this morning. The first thing we got to do, fill this in in your your blanks, suffering and disappointment doesn't change what Jesus has already done. I don't care what we're going through. That's not meant to be cold. That's not meant to be pushing it off. I'm just telling you, no matter what you're going through, It doesn't change what God has already done through Jesus for you. That remains intact. That cannot be taken away. The problem is, apart from Scripture, it is very difficult to have a proper perspective on suffering and disappointment because we all ask the question, why? And again, just it's a bad question. See, we look at suffering and disappointment, ah, why? But Scripture tells us that's a bad question and want to get into that this morning. The stuff that we go through will rarely make sense to those who are unfamiliar with God's word and the promises within God's word. And so because neither psychology nor philosophy can offer any real sufficient explanation for the stuff that I'm going through, the stuff that I'm suffering, I want to go through a lot of scripture today. So we're going to move fast and furious, fasten your seatbelts, pull the lap bar over your chest, right? Okay. But just so you know, I gave you all a cheat sheet right here. See it? I'm telling you, I've got so many scriptures I want you to walk with. Listen to me when I'm telling you this. 
you're going to need one of these scriptures tomorrow morning. I believe some of you are going to need two of these scriptures this afternoon. So I wrote them all down for you. What I'm going to give you today, I'm, it's going to be fast and furious, so just buckle up. I want you to hear it. Because God wants to give you a perspective, wants to align our thinking so that we can make it through this life. We'd all agree, life is hard. And most of go, and then you die, right? No, 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 no. Hope anyway. Life is hard, but hope anyway. God has something good for us. Social science, as I said, can't restore the soul. Our soul gets wounded, gets bruised. What do we do? Well, that's God's job. In the book of Psalms, 23, verse 3, tells us this. God renews my strength. God guides me along right paths. He brings honor to his name. You, we need to hear this. God doesn't restore me so I can be restored. Listen, he restores me so that people go, oh, that's a follower of God. God is good. God is good to his followers because he wants people to go, God, God is acknowledged. Look how good he is to his followers. Our problem is we're not really following him most of the time. <laughs> Anybody want to admit that with me? I'm following my ways. And I want to get us into a place this morning where, wait, so, so what are his ways then? As we encounter trials, as we encounter troubles, what are his ways? Because our trials and disappointments, even though we don't like them, they serve a purpose. You can fill that blank in. It's a blank. Even though our trials and disappointments, we don't like them, they serve a purpose, and we need to see that. God's up to something. What's he doing? Why am I in this place right now? What is this all about? It's through trials that we learn patience and humility, endurance and trust. That's what happens when we have these trials. This is the stuff that strengthens and develops us, the godly character within us, these trials. Also, you know what? The difficult times, that's when we can learn to rely on the, 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 the first hand. Firsthand, this is absolute truth. This can be the, the trustworthiness of God's word. You're going to see it come out this morning. A pastor back in the 60s, a guy named A.W. Tozer, said this, that if the truth were known, the saints of God in every age are only effective after they've been wounded. And you know what we do all day long? We do everything we can to avoid pain. But pain is what proves our faith. Pain is what tests our faith, but then it proves our faith. It shows, the Bible even says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. See, and so the trials, the pain, but we do everything to avoid the pain, and then we're not developing, we're not growing. We medicate our pain away, and God says, but, but now you're not growing, you're stagnant. You have, watch this, you have stopped. And God wants to get us moving. This movement is the important part of getting our perspective changed. We've got to keep moving. We have to see our life through the lens of eternity. Right now, most of us see our life through, oh, today. Can't believe. And God says, hey, eternity. See, my life started in 1963, and then I'm living the dash right now. I don't know what this is over here, but I'm living the dash. And it's filled with all kinds of crazy. Jesus promised it to me. We just read about that. And it's filled with all kinds of crazy but my life, listen, my life, my faith says that my life doesn't end, insert date here. 
eternity continues. And the question is, what am I taking into eternity? My eternity began when I was 10 years old, 1973. My eternity began there. A, a true, fulfilled eternity. And I begin learning more and more about my eternity as it's coming at me. Because this adventure, this dash that we're all living, is such a small fraction of our eternal journey, we need to get a perspective on it. So I want to turn, turn us to Paul. I look at Paul and I go, man, the persecution that that guy went through simply because he goes, hey, you want to know about Jesus? Hey, you want to hear the good news about Jesus? Hey, I want to tell you the good news about Jesus? You know, throw some rocks at him. I mean, that's what he got, right? Three times they stoned him to the point they thought he was dead. Okay, he's dead. Let's leave him now. You know what? He, three times they did that to him. <laughs> Here's Paul now. You know what he did? <laughs> he crawled back into the city that dragged him out to stone him to death. This is Paul. Throwing rocks at him. Until he doesn't move, clearly he's dead now. Okay, leave his carcass out here to let the birds eat it. Let's walk back into the city, took care of that guy, thinks he's going to tell some good news about Jesus. What's that all about? Well, I want you to hear something. When you inventory the suffering that Paul went through, it, in my mind, and I think by any measure, it seems unbearable. I'm like, how does anybody go through that, right? But you know what? Paul referred to his hardships, I want you to hear this quote, as light and momentary troubles. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? That, that, is not, that is not what you're encountering. Just light and momentary troubles, that's what he said. It's because he focused on the eternal glory. He didn't focus on what's here, he focused on what's there. Because he said it far outweighs the disappointments that he's experiencing. Look at how he wrote it. In Romans 8.18 he says this. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. You know, I often tell you that comparison is a trap because we're doing it this way. He, she, they, we compare this way. What he's saying is, hey, compare what you're going through right now with the eternal glory. That's a great comparison moment. And that's when he says this. Watch this. You love this. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. You were stoned to death. They thought you were dead. No, they're small. They don't last very long. The bruises, the scrapes, the cuts. Rocks were thrown at him. The guy was shipwrecked, bitten by a poisonous snake. I mean, there's all kinds of great stories. He goes, yeah, no big deal. That's all light and easy. This is his last letter. He's saying this stuff to us. He says, yeah, it's no big deal. Listen to what he says. They produce for us a glory that vast outweighs them. There he goes comparing again. The glory we get vast outweighs the stuff that we're going through because the glory we get, here it is, the big finish, lasts how long? Man, you know how long forever is, right? It's forever. That's good stuff. We could align ourselves with change. We need to align ourselves with change by not focusing on what we see, but on what we don't see. And that's our problem. We are, we're looking at the current. Oh, the bills. Oh, the sickness. Oh, the relationships. Oh, the communication. Oh, 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 the stuff we see. And God says, I need you to look at what you don't see. Look what he says. Just the next verse, verse 18. All that light and momentary troubles. So, because of all those things, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we get our sights set. We fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Because the things we see now are soon going to be gone. The things we cannot see, here's eternity again, 
will last forever. Are you starting to understand why I'm giving you all these scriptures? We need them this week. We're going to need this. And so here he says, he's, listen, this is going to last forever. Okay, I got, to get, I got to get this perspective. And that perspective is a faith perspective. Faith is what allows us to see the unseen. That's why faith is such an incredible and indispensable element in the Christian life. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He writes this, we live by believing and not by seeing. It's what I believe God wants to do, not what I see God is doing. He goes on, look, there's another one. I, I love how he's doing this. Hebrews points this out to us. It's impossible to please God without faith. So where is our faith? Again, as the Bible says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. How do I do that? See what your response is during trial and trouble. That will surely test your faith. What do you do when it's trouble? What do you do when trials come your way? We know that as followers of Jesus the Christ, we will experience disappointment and endure trials where our faith is painfully put to the test. <sighs> Again, come on. But I want you to see what the brother of Jesus asked us to consider. Right? This guy, James, right? In your Bible, the very end of our Bible, he says this. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to us. When troubles of any kind come your way, and this is where I just need some whiteout. I just need, just like, just like right in my Bible, just do some whiteout right here. This is the most ridiculous statement. Consider an opportunity for great joy. Why don't you punch him in the throat, you know? It's like, really? Come on. This is not for great joy. What are you talking about? These are trials, and I hate them, and they suck. You know, I get, I, I don't know. Do you guys get angry when trials come your way? I get bitter. I can, I can have a pity party with the best of them. I can, get, I can get angry at God. I can get, I'll blame you for something. I don't even know why, but I'll find somebody else to blame for it. But you know what James says? Hey, when you got trials, consider it, listen to this, an opportunity for joy. Listen to this. He says this. For you know that when your faith is tested, here it comes, this is why, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Because when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. All you perfectionists are like, ooh, I like this. It's not that kind of perfection. You know what he's talking about? Be holy for I am holy. It's a set-apartness, not an absolute perfectness you see that most people get that wrong i'm sorry to confirm what every single one of us already know disappointment is going to plague us until our final heartbeat i really wanted this to turn out differently i really thought this was going to be something i thought it was going to be like this and it turned out like that and eh. but i want you to hear this we can minimize our disappointment by grabbing hold of the scriptures that talk about sowing and reaping. That's one of your blanks. You want to fill that in. Sowing and reaping is all over the Bible. It's unfortunately, it's, it comes from an agrarian society. That means just they're agricultural, okay? Agrarian society. That's what this was written in. Everybody was a farmer. Everybody was a rancher. Everybody had cows. Everybody had chickens. Everybody was raising crops, tending grapevines. That was everybody in the Bible. It's kind of lost on us city slickers. Right? We, we just go to the store. Get some chicken while you're out. 
We don't grow food. Everybody grows it for us. And Oh, it didn't turn out good. Throw it away. Right? These people, th- this was agrarian. And here's what they say. It was a huge, and it's all over the Bible. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping. And it gets lost in us today, but I'm telling you, we are sowing and we are reaping. And we need to connect ourselves to this process. As we connect ourselves, look at what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6. He says this, you can't mock the justice of God. You're always going to harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature, they're going to harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. You sowed into the sinful nature, you harvest decay and death. But those who live according to the Spirit, to please the Spirit, will harvest, here it comes, not death, but everlasting life from the Spirit. He continues, let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And here's the problem. I'm like, it's just, you ever get to the place where it just keeps pushing you down, pushing you down? I'm done. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And so we stop. I just beat down. He says, keep moving. Keep moving. Don't stop. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we need to do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Here's what he's telling us. He continues, watch this. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. A farmer who plants a few seeds gets a small crop, but the one who plants generously gets a generous crop, right? I mean, this is simple. This is super simple for us. He says this. You each have to decide in your own heart how much to give. He was collecting something. They were getting an offering together in the New Testament. They, the church in Jerusalem needed some cash. And so they said, hey, we're going to talk to Ephesus. We're going to talk to Corinth. We're going to talk to Galatia. We're going to gather some cash, and we're going to send it to the church in Jerusalem to take care of all the people that are coming to the Lord. We're going to send some money that way. So you need to decide how much you're going to give. Then he, watched, he says this. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God's going to generously provide all that you need so that you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God's given you what you have so you can take care of your needs and take care of other people. That's what he's getting to. He says, listen, this is about reaping and planting, harvesting and sowing. This is the way it works, people. And again, unfortunately, it's lost on us. But I want to tell you, if we, if we can faithfully live aligned to God's word, this, this harvesting and reaping, right? This sowing and planting, right? It's like, okay, what I'm putting in is what I'm getting back out. What I've invested is what's getting returned to me. If we can live aligned to God's word, we're going to be able to skip over, and I want you to hear this, the unnecessary troubles and disappointments that seem so common in this life. I want you to hear something. Here's, here's why God gave us the word. Watch this. I am a God set apart from all gods. I am so different from all gods. Okay? I'm a God that's different. And as my people, you are set apart as well. Here's how you do that. Here's how you look different. So here's what happens. God God sets us apart in our culture. But what's happening is we're kind of not being set apart. 
because the culture goes, well, what's so different about those people? But it was designed to be this, man, common troubles. I go through this, I go through that, I go through this, I go through that. Except the people of God, they don't go through that. We have debt, we have trouble, we have sickness, we have disease, but the people of God don't have that. See, he goes, hey, listen, if you do these things, you will not be like those people. Problem is, what? We're not doing these things. But he says, hey, listen, here's the answer to life, and life abundantly. You, you want to live like nobody else, then you got to live like nobody else. you got to do that, and I want to show you how to do that. So that it's not common to us as Christians. They go, man, everybody was so disappointed when the company shut down. But that Christian guy, he, it was like no big deal. He's like, eh. In fact, I heard him say, God will provide. Who says that? Christians. Maybe. Or they go, I can't believe this. This is wrong. We need a boy. Stop, stop. We need to align ourselves to the principles of God's word. And that's what the psalmist meant when he gave us this clue. Psalm 119, verse 9. Look what he says. How does a young man keep his way pure? It's impossible these days. Pornography coming at you every which way. It's coming at us all the time. You don't have to go look for pornography. How do you keep your mind pure? How do you keep your way pure? Close your eyes. Gouge out your eyes. Do something. You got to do something, right? No, listen to this. Align to the truth. Obeying the word. This is what it says. I'm doing that. And the psalmist is trying to encourage us there. Now, it's going to help us to remember this. It's a big word. That God is sovereign. Sovereign just means all-powerful. He's got all authority. And here's a great way to describe sovereign. I don't have to explain myself to you. That's what sovereign means. A sovereign simply makes a decision, doesn't have to explain anything. But here's the beauty. Our sovereign explains to us. He goes, I don't have to, but I want you to understand what's happening in your life. I want you to see how it's happening. I want you to see, I want you to put it all together. I want you to connect the dots. I don't want you to not have knowledge. I'm giving it to you. Anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He will give liberally, generously. Here it is. He says, I don't want you to live as, as unbelievers. I want you to live with full knowledge. And as a sovereign, he comes in, and I want you to hear this. Everything in our lives occurs, sometimes by prescription and, and other times by permission. But everything that happens in our life happens for a purpose. And we need to understand that because God has these ways that are just way beyond our ways. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 11. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Listen, we cannot put God under a microscope. He doesn't fit. Put a leaf under, you'll see God. You want to see God? Put a leaf under a microscope. You want to see God? Put water under a microscope. Go look at the microscopic beings that are created. But you can't put God under a microscope. He's too big. Way too big. You can get glimpses of him. <gasps> wow. How is that created? That's amazing. But God is huge. I mentioned several weeks ago the terror of randomness. Anybody remember that? The terror of randomness. The disorderliness of tragedy. You're like, what? 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 And it's, it's pretty hard. There is an orderliness in our lives. 
But you know what? Order doesn't always prevail. And I got to tell you, when it, when it doesn't prevail, life looks pretty cold. That's one of your blanks. Fill that in. When loss is connected to disorder, the universe seems pretty cold and unfriendly. It's like, and I've shared this in bits and pieces over the years, but there was disorder in my life. I'm 19 years old, and, and my brother dies in a hang gliding accident. I'm like, Bruh! and it was rough. It wouldn't have been as rough if my best friend just didn't die 10 days earlier in an automobile accident. So here's my life, very, the, random, the terror of randomness, the disorderliness, and see, all, all it takes for me, I want you to hear, all it takes for this to become alive again in my life is to drive into Mission Hills, because that's where I was living when I heard that my friend was killed and my brother was killed, and all I need to do is go to Devonshire and Sepulveda and go, this is the place, and I can relive all the emotions. You have that happen to you? I call it allergic reactions. Right? You, you hear somebody say something. You see a show. You hear a song. You go, and it brings it all back right now. It's live again. But I'm here to tell you that there's a purpose in the midst of all that. And I know it's hard. It is hard. Suffering is its fiercest when it's random. It's, it's tough because it seems cruel. I'm like, what? What? How could this happen? This isn't right. But here's what I do know. I do know that I would not be standing right here if it wasn't for the death of my brother and the death of my best friend. Because it was at that moment I realized life is freaking short and I got to live why I was created to live. I was busy partying. I was doing my thing. I was going to church every Sunday. But then Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, no, it wasn't Monday night, Tuesday through Sunday, <laughs> Monday, the nightclub was closed. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't out crossing. I was just, I was dancing. I loved dancing. It was the 80s, man. Hello. <laughs> I was nightclubbing. When the club was open, I was there. And then go to school and then go to work. It was cool. I was having the time of my life. And then I woke up. <laughs> Life is short. What do, I, what do I do? And I got busy. In 1984, I turned my heart to Jesus, and I have not left his sight since. I keep my eyes on him, and I say, God, you got something for me. I want whatever it is you got, and I'm going to keep following you. I'm not giving up. Because I've watched people fall to the side. I've watched people who choose. Some live in fear in this life. I'm not going to live in fear. Some people are immobilized by the what ifs in life. Oh, if I, I could go down that road, but what if, uh, and I, I would take this job, but what if, uh, and I want to have a relationship with this person, but what if, uh, and the what ifs, watch this, uh, and I stop again. And I stay right here. I'm not going to move out because if I go here, that could happen. That could happen. That could happen. No, no, I'm going to stay right here where nothing can happen to me. And God goes, get moving. Does anybody remember last week's sermon? Why are you standing here? Tell the people to get moving. God wants us moving. The truth is, we are pretty resilient creatures. You know, I, I, feel, I feel like when we're knocked down, we just get right back up again. It's kind of like when you trample on weeds, you know, and then like 10 minutes later, you're like, whoop. It's like, 
I'm like stepping on weeds. I'm, I'm a bad weed, that's for sure, right? But I got to tell you this, and it's hard to hear. Depends on the age, it's really hard to hear. We will love again. I'll never love again. <laughs> Babe, you'll love again. Now they're all married. My empty house, right? My, and my empty nest, right? Babe, it's okay. You'll love again. No, it was everything to me. Oh. You will work again. No, this was my favorite job. I never have another job like this. You'll work again. You will hope again. But we've got to align ourselves to that hope. Today, you and I, people in this room, may relate to Job. You're feeling like Job in the Old Testament. It's like, oh, man. I'm just like this insignificant pawn that God's just moving around. We're all just subject to forces beyond our control. God just is playing games with me, I'm telling you. I'm just confessing what happens in my brain, okay? So if you're not there, thank you. Please encourage me, okay? Uh, This is my problem. I feel like, what are you doing? What's going on? Are Are you for me or what? Jesus. If this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you had so few. (laughs) Come on, I'm your buddy. I'm for you. Deliver, do something. Others may identify with Joseph way back there in Genesis and the betrayal of his brothers. What? Threw into a pit, right? Sold into slavery, falsely accused. Me, Joseph, right? This stinks. I got accused of rape. I didn't do nothing. I'm sitting in a dungeon for something I didn't even do because way back in the beginning, I was sold into slavery, which brought me to Egypt. I mean, there's all, but you know what's happening? There's a second storyline that we don't see and it's developing over here. And here's Joseph going, this is a waste of time. I'm here in prison. There is no purpose for it. Wait, I have the baker to come see you. I have, and if you're familiar with the story, some of you are, right? You're trying, you're like getting through Genesis right now. We're in, we're in, you're reading through the Bible in a year, right? Right? I'm on January 4th. I'm going to get there, I promise, right? And so you get through that story to Joseph, you're like, whoa, right? And the cupbearer comes in, he's like, whoa, and then all of a sudden, he's standing before the king. He's before Pharaoh. That was this other storyline that's happening over here. And Joseph couldn't see it. I'm in prison for nothing. Oh, no, 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 no. I have someone you're going to meet. But all we can see is what's in front. Remember what I told you? We're focused on what we can see and not the unseen. It's this other storyline that God's developing over here. And we're so busy looking at our, our marriages and our, and our medical diagnosis and our finances and our jobs and our kids and all these things. And this thing's developing over here. And God's going, hey, listen, I got something good going on. I know you can't see it, but you could. If you pay attention, I've got things that I want to share with you. I have things that I want to show you what's happening. There, in the midst of those troubles, in the midst of the trials, is where prayer pays off. Prayer is simply paying attention to God. God, what are you doing? How, how are you doing this? What's, what's, what are you up to? Prayer gives us strength. Prayer is, again, the ultimate acknowledgement of God's sovereignty, which is what? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He doesn't have to explain, but he does. He says, hey, I have this. I want you to see the role of prayer in several people here. Here's the first one, Moses. Watch what happens with Moses. The people are saying, let's kill Moses, right? right there. Like, why? you remember last week? Why did you bring us out here to die? Those rebellious moments. Let's kill Moses. Look what happens here in Genesis, or in Numbers, rather. Moses and Aaron turn away from the people because they're like, kill Moses, right? 
They turn away from the people. They go into the entrance of the tabernacle, watch this, where they fell face down on the ground. Then, once they took their eyes off these complaining people, once they went into the holy place, once they fell face down, then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. You want to be in the presence? Pull away from that which concerns you. And you'll discover presence. It's an amazing moment. Watch David, chapter 55 in the Psalms. I will call on the Lord, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Well, that's good for David, but it doesn't happen for me. Huh? Huh? Is anybody? Is this just me? I read this, and I go, yeah, sure. For David, you listened. He cries out. You hear him. How about hearing me every once in a while, huh? I've been praying the same stupid prayer for years, and you're not listening to Whoa, 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 whoa. You know who's doing that? One of my favorite names for the enemy of our soul. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He comes and he goes, you're a low life. You got jack diddly. You think you could come in here to God and present yourself? Really? He knows what you were looking at on the computer last night. He knows what you were thinking about that guy on the 405 stuck in traffic, what you wanted to do to him. That's what the accuser does. The accuser says, I know what you think about your neighbor. You can't come to God and ask for those things. Who do you think you are? I want you to hear this. Morning, noon, and night, I cry out to the Lord. And he hears me. I'm holding on to this promise. That's a promise. God's listening to me. He is all present. That means he's hearing me. Lastly, look what Daniel, this is a great book. You never read Daniel, man. Do yourself a favor. This is a great book. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, chapter 3, the book of Daniel, Fiery Furnace, great story. If you've not read that, wow. But later on, Daniel is totally distressed. He's got this crazy great vision, but he doesn't totally understand. Look what happens. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my, what? Sin of my people? That's not my problem. That's their problem. Let them confess their sins. Daniel throws a great point here. I can't tell you how many times I've repented for the loss of life in our nation. The Bible says that blood cries out from the ground to the Lord. And I go, Lord, forgive me for abortion in our country. God, forgive us for what we've done. Holocaust of abortion. Oh, God, forgive me. He says, I'm confessing my sin and the sin of my people. I'm pleading with the Lord, for my, the Lord my God, for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. I was praying, watch this, and Gabriel, the archangel, by the way. There were three archangels. Gabriel. This, this guy, the, the archangel of warfare, Michael, the archangel of words, and Lucifer, the archangel of worship. That's the only archangel not in place right now. Do you know whose job it is to worship today? That's us. Michael's still there. Gabriel's still there. We take the place of worship. We are bringing worship to the throne. Okay, okay. Gabriel, whom I had seen in an earlier vision, came swiftly at the time of the evening sacrifice. And look what Gabriel has to say. He says this. Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I am here to tell you what it was, because you are very precious to God. Listen carefully so you can understand the meaning of your vision. See, I'm precious to God. You are precious to God. When we pray, this is what we're going to hear. Oh, 
Are you, are you coming before God? Listen, you are precious to him. Let me give you understanding. God wants us to understand our lives. He wants us to understand what's happening in our lives. But we've got to approach him first. We're so busy trying to figure it out ourselves. Yes. I got this. I got this. Don't worry, God. I got it. Okay. And I, I liken it to a one-year-old trying to tie their shoes. Just flipping the laces around. You know, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. You don't know what you're doing. That's why we use Velcro shoes. Okay. Um, God needs to give me more Velcro in my life. Okay. So I want you to understand what's happening in your life, but you got to come to me. And the first thing you're going to hear, beloved, I need you to hear this. When you come before God, the first thing you're going to hear is, oh, you are precious to God. Oh, he's crazy about you. He's got more love. It's porn. It's, you know, trying to contain God's love is trying to put the Niagara into a teacup. Can't be done. You are precious to God. And on top of that, I want you to understand what's happening. But that happens through prayer. And please keep this in mind. Before Jesus went to Calvary, went to the cross, and took my sins and your sins and the sins of the world, what did he spend his last night doing? (laughs) Having his last meal, of course. Tri-tip, fully loaded baked potato, right? Wouldn't, hey, wait, we've seen the movies. Oh, it's their last night. You know, it's, it's the, the spaceship has hovering over the earth and it's going to destroy everything. So what do we do? We go have sex with people. We do all those things. I can't die a virgin. We've seen the movies. You know what Jesus did the night before his death? He prayed. He sat in Gethsemane and prayed. He said, this is all I got. You've got to go with me because I can't do this on my own. Jesus prayed. Being a child of God means that we are never alone. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. You are never alone. I'm not going to abandon you. Well, I feel abandoned. I feel alone. I feel like you're not even hearing me. You know, I got these things with my kids. I got this thing with my finances. What are you going to show up? I will never abandon you. God gives strength and grace when we need to endure. There's grace. For any circumstance, we can overcome any disappointment. Psalm 68 says this, God is awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. You feel weak? God will strengthen you. That's a promise. He's going to strengthen us. Please fill this in. To live in a world with grace is far better than to live in a world of absolute fairness. In fact, if you've got a phone, here's what you want to do. You just want to go, oh, I'm going to need to look through that in my pictures next week. I'm telling you what. Because as you're scrolling through the flower and the dog and the whatever else you're taking pictures of, right? You're going to go, whoa, what was that? Oh, right. Because I want you to hear this. You would much rather live in grace than a world of fairness. Because fair is good and fair may be nice. To the extent that I am nice. (laughs) To the extent that I'm good. And so that means it's not going to be good. If it's fair, it's going to be bad. If God's going to be fair, this can't turn out well. But I'd rather live in grace. I need you to take that in. Because fair says we get what we deserve. Grace says I get more good than I deserve. And mercy says, I get less bad than I deserve. I like this system. Sign me up. 
<laughs> I, I, like, I like where this is going. I don't like fair because fair means I'm going to get what I deserve, and I don't want what I deserve. I hear that. I say, oh, yeah, 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 give that to me. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to guard our hearts. He's going to guard us when we look to him. I want you to see this. Paul writing this. Again, his last letter. The book of Philippians. The last letter. He's dying. He's going to his death. He's in a prison dungeon, right? And listen to what he says in chapter 4, verse 4. Here he comes. Prison cell, dungeon, on his way to being executed by Rome. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, what? There it is. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, after you've prayed, after you've thanked God for all he's done, after, after, then, then you will experience. You ready for this? Anybody want to experience this? God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, my beloved, one final thing. I ain't done yet. Here it comes. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Do you hear it? Keep putting, here it comes, into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, there's another then. Did you see it? Circle those thens. Once you've done this, this will happen. If, then. Then, the God of peace will be with you. Do you know why I wrote down all these scriptures for you? Because you need them this week. You're going to need to go through, oh man, the trials are here. What was the one? What was the one? I'm giving them to you this week. If we keep our mind on God, I want you to hear this. Nothing can steal our peace. Did you hear me? If we keep our, if we keep our eyes on God, nothing can steal our peace. The problem is I just don't keep my eyes on God. I'm busy looking at my stuff. The temporary stuff that I can see rather than on that which is eternal that I cannot see. And God wants to open our eyes. I've been quoting this verse for years to you. I know you've heard it. I want to give you the address this morning. Isaiah 26, 3. God will keep in perfect peace all who trust in God, all whose thoughts are fixed on God. Do you hear it? We lack peace because my eyes aren't fixed there. I lack peace because I don't trust him. I don't, you know what? I don't trust you. I'll take care of this. Okay. Fiddling with shoelaces. See, God goes, really? You really think you got this, huh? All right. Well, when, when you're ready, let me know. I can help you with that. No, no. I'm going to figure it out myself. No, no. Whose thoughts are fixed on you, who trust in you, there is peace. And this is your last blank. Our peace of mind depends on, here it comes, our spiritual ability to inject the thoughts of God between us and our anxiety. Because here's anxiety. Hey, I'm here. You don't have enough money for the bills. Hey, I'm here. The company is cutting back in all departments. Hey, are you anxious yet? 
cars breaking down, then the dishwasher, then the hot water heater. Anybody anxious yet? How about this one? Change is coming. The business is moving across the country. What are you going to do? <gasps> Align to the word. What, what does God's word say for me? And here's what has to happen. Be, I have to keep a barrier between my anxiety and me. What's the barrier between my anxiety and me? God's thoughts. Somehow I have to stick those, those things in and kind of cushion as change is coming. Change is coming, folks. Do not think you can keep change away. It's coming. But you can, you can pad yourself between change and the anxiety. You can say, wait a minute, I know it's coming, but here's what God's truth says about my life. I'm going to stick all these things in here. And I want you to hear something. If we can create some space and inject the word and know the word. We've got to know the word. We've got to know these scriptures. Because I'm just going, oh, here's what the people need here. They need this one, and 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 this one. Oh, they need to hear these words. This is the word of God. This is the encouragement. This is what God wants to give us. It'll make the difference. And I want you to hear that Jesus, again, because he knows how tiring it can be. He's been a human. He's been through what, we, what we're going through. Jesus encountered these things. And you know what he says? It, it's... It's beautiful, it's in, it's in Matthew, but I wanna, I wanna read it out of a, a version called The Message. A guy named Eugene Peterson paraphrased the entire Bible in a book called The Message. It's kind of like street English. And he wrote a book originally called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Dig that title, stay away from that book, right? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I got a short obedience in all kinds of directions. Huh? Eugene Peterson said, a long obedience in the same direction. But then he wrote this, he wrote the entire Bible. He wrote it all out. He translated it into kind of street English. And this is what he said in Matthew. Jesus is talking to us. Look how he says this. I love this. Jesus talking. Now, go ahead and close your Bibles. Get rid of your notes. Close your phones because you don't need them during worship, right? Okay. But I'm Instagramming something. Put it all away because I want you to hear the voice of Jesus this morning. I want you to hear how he says this. It, it's so beautiful. It's one of my favorites. I, I have it as a bookmark. I printed it out and stuck it in my regular Bible so I could read it this way. Here's Jesus. Are you tired? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'm not going to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do, do you hear the assumption in all of that? You're going to get stressed out. Jesus knew it. You're going to get stressed out about church. You're going to get stressed out about work, relation. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out? You hear him? I just love the English that he uses. But then Jesus says this, come to me. Come to me. But we're so busy trying to push away the pain. Remember, Tozer said, if only we knew what the pain could pr produce in us. We're pushing away the pain. And Jesus said, you got to come to me. Jesus knows we're going to be tired. He knows you're tired right now. And you know what he says? Come to me. Come here. I want to bring you peace. Let me pray.
Father, I thank you for a moment this morning where we get to pull away from all those things, the, the change, the stress, the anxiety. We get to pull away just for a moment, push all that aside. We come in here, and I pray that your word would align us this morning. We would hear truth and say, ah, right, okay, that's God's will for my life, that I stay close to him and that he stays close to me. That people would glorify God by looking at my life. Because I'm close to him, they go, wow, that person always has peace. He will guard our hearts and minds. He will keep in perfect peace. Do you hear these words? Those are the people of God. And so I pray, Father, this morning as we sing these songs, we bring them to you as a point of faith. I'm, I'm going to sing these songs in faith. I haven't yet seen it, but I'm singing the right song on the right side. And so this morning, Father, we come before you with these songs, and they're just expressing some of how we feel, how we want to feel. Maybe we don't feel it, but I'm going to sing it in faith. Because faith is the things hoped for and the things not seen. Let it be so in Jesus' name. Let it be done.